The following program is sponsored by Fairly Spiritual on KCIS. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Doug Bursch, uh, and this is the Fairly Spiritual Show. So I thought, what would put us in the holiday spirit more than talking about Herod dying and being eaten by worms? That sounds like a great holiday message. Uh, But seriously, I want to talk about Herod's death. Not the Herod that was around when Jesus was born, but his son, He didn't give glory to God, and as a result, he died. Giving God glory is a really important thing in scripture that we often overlook. During this glorious season, let's look at giving God glory. I don't know why I started that way. This is the Fairly Spiritual Show. I'm Dr. Doug Birch, and I'm so glad you could join me. So I was thinking, you know, what would put us in the holiday spirit? Well, how about looking at Herod not giving God glory and immediately being eaten by worms and dying? That, that sounds like a great story, right? Hey, babe, before you stop listening, just stay with me. I'm sure this is going to put you into a festive mood by the time we're through. Some of you are like, I don't want to be in a festive mood. I don't want to be talking about Christmas. Well, then this will be perfect for you as well. But actually, you know, I've been going through the book of Acts in our church, and I got to this uh, passage, and I didn't want to preach on it. Just didn't want to do it. You know, it's one of those where you're like, oh, I don't know. Can I just skip it? And, And I'm not legalistic. I might skip a passage from time to time and just say, hey, you know, you guys read that on your own. We don't, we don't need to have to do everything during our Sunday service. But the more I studied this passage, the more I thought, hey, there's a lot to be said here. So I am going to talk today about the importance of giving God glory. And it's one of those passages where it's really shocking uh, that the Bible includes this story, uh, specifically when it comes to Herod and how the Bible describes why he died. Because this Herod did a lot of bad things. There's a couple Herods in the Bible. This might be somewhat confusing. But this Herod had done a lot of bad things, and he didn't die up to that point. But this last thing that he did was considered worthy of, uh, basically, it says an angel uh, basically caused him uh, to die. So it's one of those stories where you go, wow, that happened. What does that mean for today? But before we uh, move on, I want to give you a number that you can text Some of you hear this number and you say, you know, maybe I'll do that someday. Uh, Who are you? Raise your hand if you're that person. Just raise your hand. That's awkward that you're raising your hand by yourself, but I'm glad that you're willing to do that. Uh, If you're willing to raise your hand but not text me, what's that about? I'd love to get a text from you. Now, I'm honest on this. I do not put you on some sort of phone list where you start getting calls from me. If you've been getting calls from people trying to sell you stuff, that did not come from me. I am not creative enough are sinister enough to do that. It's simply, the text comes in, I know you've been listening to the show. So please text me, 360-818-4513. I'm making decisions based on whether I want to stay on the radio or just stay in a podcast form based on these responses. If I primarily get responses from people who listen to the podcast, 
then I'm probably going to just do the show through podcast form. If I get lots of responses from people listening through the radio, then I'm probably going to continue with radio. Those things matter. Also, I'm going to continue with radio if we continue to get donations. But anyway, 360-818-4513 is how you text me. 360-818-4513. You can also leave a voicemail. Uh, If you're a millennial, you clearly can't. Uh, But for those of you who are not millennials, all you have to do is call, leave a message. 360-818-4513. That's 360-818-4513. So I want to talk about a, a very interesting passage where Herod does not give glory to God. Now, this isn't the Herod that you get in the Christmas story uh, at the very beginning with with Jesus being born in a manger. That's not the Herod. That Herod dies, and he has a very messed up family. And if I were to spend all my time on his messed up family, that would take this whole show. It would just be a show about the messed up family of Herod. But basically, he splits up his kingdom, or the the area that he rules over, uh, splits it up, for his children to to rule over. And that's after he has, uh, I think it's like three of his children put to death uh, because they try to uh, overthrow him and do treasonous things. So this is a very dysfunctional family. And some of Herod's behavior even here uh, may come from that dysfunction. This Herod that we are talking about is the one who had John the Baptist beheaded This is the Herod who beheaded James. This is the Herod also who, once he beheaded James and he realized there was no persecution, in fact, that the people seemed to like it, he put Peter in prison, and we pretty much know that he was going to have Peter murdered as well if Peter had not been led out of prison uh, by an angel and miraculously escaped. And so uh, after this, after that story of Peter escaping, we get this story from Acts 9, Verse 9. And so let's uh, read a little scripture here. And did I say Acts 9? Did I tell you that? If I told you that, that is uh, the wrong scripture. And I I don't know why I told you that. I I don't know. But, you know, Acts 9 is nice as well. But let's go to Acts 12.20. So Acts 12.20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And we we don't really know why he was angry. Uh, You could study this. There's not really a good explanation. Uh, And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, isn't that a great name, Blastus? There should be more kids with the name Blastus. Having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, and I didn't know what a chamberlain was either, but basically Blastus is the person who helps with uh, organizing uh, Herod's affairs. And what you see in this context is probably there's some sort of dispute between the people that they're trading with. Tyre and Sidon probably are getting food uh, and and supplies. And so there needs to be some sort of peace between uh, these individuals, between these regions. Uh, If not, uh, there's going to be a problem. And so they come in and and probably they even bribe Blastus in order to be able to meet with Herod in order to smooth things over. So they go to the person who controls the calendar of Herod, which is Blastus, the king's chamberlain, and uh, set up this meeting. So it says, they. so through Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. We know a little earlier, there was a prophecy over famine occurring in the land. So food is a big deal here. They have to make peace with Herod. So in verse 21, it says, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, 
and delivered an oration to them. So it's, this is he's delivering an oration to people who are desperate for the food that he has control over. So there's a big power dynamic here, right? There's this egotistical uh, leader who has a lot of power and control and people who need uh, food. And he's angry at these people. And so they have to find a way to pad the ego of this ruler. Of course, none of this makes sense in our modern culture. We never have egotistical, narcissistic leaders who uh, want people to praise them or feed their ego. And if they don't feed their ego, they make harsh or rash decisions. That, that doesn't happen now, but it did happen back then. So uh, he, he comes together here on this appointed day. Herod puts on his royal robe. He takes his seat upon the throne and he delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Now in shouting that, you don't know the sincerity of this because what's behind this is these people need food and they need the king to be happy with them. And the king is angry at them or Herod is angry with them. So on one level, they might think he's a god. They might be, you know, do some hero worship here. But they also might be praising him because they know by praising him, that means, you know, it makes things better and it makes them get food from him, you know. So the more they praise his ego, the more they say you're like a god, the better chance they have of getting food. So they say the voice of a god and not of a man. Verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, struck Herod down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by warm worms and breathed his last. Now, what's so fascinating about this story, because that, that's such a graphic thing. He, he doesn't give God glory. He's eaten by worms and he breathes his last. Now, I don't believe that right at that moment, he just began to like worms just ate his body and he died. Now, you can believe that. That's okay. I, I think it's just saying this drastic thing that here is a king who's at the height of people praising him. And he dies. That God strikes him dead or an angel strikes him dead. And he goes back to the worms, to the dust. That no matter how much power and influence, and he thought he had lots of power. He was wielding that power. He was using his power to control other nations. He, This egotistical narcissist is using his power to control others. And, and what happens as he does that? At the height of them praising him and calling him a god, he immediately is struck down, and he dies. What's fascinating about this story is we don't always get cooperation in other historical documents about what happened in the New Testament. Now, I believe the Bible. I believe it's sacred text, sacred scripture. I believe it's true. Uh, but we don't always get uh, in other ancient text cooperation. We just don't have other things written about it. But we have from the historian Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, he wasn't a Christian, a Jewish historian in the first century wrote about the death of Herod. And the way he wrote about it is very similar. And he talks about that Herod, in his accounting, he said Herod gave this, uh, came into this gathering and he put on this robe. And it says here in the, in, in the scripture here that Herod put on this robe. And it says in Joseph's account that Herod put on this bright silver robe. And you can see that it, it shined, it had the sheen to it, like like glory, right? It, it radiated glory. And it says that people begin to praise him like a god. That's what Josephus says. And it says that Herod did not rebuke them, or Herod did not turn that away. And in Josephus' account, it says that Herod realized 
that what he had done was wrong. And and Herod sees there's like a, a, a bird above him. He sees that bird, and then immediately he realizes that he's going to die. It says in Joseph's account, immediately he had these great stomach pains, and that five days later, he died. Now, that's kind of exciting, fascinating that there's this historical account that both from the Jewish historian, Jewish historian's account, who actually puts Herod in kind of a positive light, and from this uh, Christian account that doesn't put Herod in a very positive account, uh, light, they both have the same account, that immediately Herod, as he's being praised by other people, there's an immediate recognition that this is wrong, that he's being lifted up as a god, and he's immediately struck where, and it's interesting, even the stomach issues, so maybe even the worms issues, that he has some sort of intestinal problem, and immediately he dies. Now, now why is this important to me? You're like, that's eh, interesting stuff, but why are we talking about this now? The concept that fascinates me is Herod is the one who has John the Baptist beheaded. You think maybe he would be struck dead then. He also has James beheaded, and you think, Maybe he'd be struck dead then. And again, we can't make a lot out of this. Like, I don't even understand this of, of why this happened or why other evil people in the world aren't struck dead, right? But the scripture says, or he tries to kill Peter and he's not struck dead. But the scripture says in this context that the reason the angel strikes him dead is because he did not give God the glory. It doesn't say that he was struck dead because he beheaded James, because he killed John the Baptist, because he tried to kill Peter, because he was persecuting the Christian church, or he was persecuting the disciples, or that he was standing against the way of Christ. No, it said the reason he was struck dead was because he did not give God the glory. Now, this, that's what I want us to focus in on, because this struck me as pretty powerful. Because, you know, if you look at my life, or maybe you look at your own life, I mean, I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't beheaded anyone. I don't think I'm a, a villain in anyone's narrative. But the importance in this context was not that he was a murderer, although that was certainly wrong. It wasn't that he had beheaded James or John. What was most upsetting to God was that he did not give glory to God. And I thought about all the things that I haven't done, like I haven't murdered people, I, I haven't done all these, you know, you could give a list of horrible things, you know, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a rapist, I'm not a, a thief, you know, in the sense of the things that you send people to jail for. I haven't committed crimes that would send me to jail. I've gone over the speed limit and things like that and jaywalked, but not done those things. But then I thought to myself, but do I give God glory? Have I truly given God glory? And that struck me because it's almost similar in Acts when you get uh, Ananias and Sapphira. You get, you get them struck dead because they give a portion of their money to God, but they withhold a portion and they lie about it. It's another one of those radical things where, where they're not completely surrendered and honest. They're sort of saying, yeah, we're sort of serving God, but we're kind of lying to you about it. We say we're giving all to God, but we're not really. And they're struck dead. This is another one of those powerful moments where Herod is struck dead because he what? He does not give glory to God. And I, I'm not going to make this 
huge theology that God strikes dead everyone who doesn't give him glory, but but what I'm going to get from this is, do I give God glory? And if I don't, that's a serious offense. That's incredibly important to God. And, and what does it mean to give God glory? Glory is a fascinating word because in the Greek, it's, it's doxa, and in the Septuagint, the Old Testament, uh, this, the Old Testament uh, for Greek readers is the Septuagint. And so sometimes we can see what the, the Greek is like in the New Testament and what the Greek words they use for Hebrew words in the Old Testament to see the correlation. But all that to be said is, is the word doxa is also used in the, in the Old Testament, uh, in the Septuagint, for glory. And glory, if you look it up, it's not just to give God praise. There's many scriptures about ascribe to God glory and praise, and, and that is an aspect of glory, to praise him and to worship him and to exclaim, you know, the mighty good you know, deeds of God. And, and if you search doxa or you search glory, you'll find hundreds of references to the word glory. But when you look at glory, glory is far more than just an activity of ascribing to God praise. There's a reality to glory where glory is a substance. The glory is more than a substance. That glory is, in fact, the presence of God. And glory is more than just the presence of God. Glory is the effect of God upon a person. And glory is God within a person. Glory is such a deep and powerful word that you, I really can't even explain it in the time I have here. Psalm 26.8 says, O Lord, O Yahweh, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Your presence, your glory, your essence, your goodness. There's an aspect of you that radiates and emanates and abides. Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory. We know that when Moses was with God, he would radiate the glory of God, that there's something that when he was with God, he would reflect and radiate the glory of God. We know that even humans are made in such a way that when we are in the presence of God, there's something about our being that radiates that glory, so much so that Moses had to put a veil over his face. And he would lift that veil every once in a while so people could see that he had been with God. So that when he'd say, you know, God told me this, and they'd go, I don't know, did God really tell you that? And he could lift the veil and they'd say, oh, he's radiating the glory of God. Moses has been with God. This must have come from God. We are impacted by God's glory. There's an aspect of where God's glory, God's presence goes before Moses, and, and he can't even fully look at God's glory. We know that when God's glory falls in, on, on the temple and on the tabernacle, people flee from the glory because it's, it's so powerful. The glory of the Lord is at one level, yes, it's to praise God, it's to worship God, but the glory of the Lord is also God's presence, and the glory of the Lord is what happens when we're in God's presence, and the glory of the Lord is also what we become when we yield and surrender to God, in fact, each of us in some way are emanations of God's glory. You know, you were created as an expression of God. You're not God, but God took of himself and created humans. You know, he didn't take of a substance outside himself, right? 
He didn't say, I'm going to create humans out of a substance outside myself. He took of his very being and he created us and he created us in his image. He created us to be fruitful, to multiply, to have dominion. He created humans in such a powerful way that we could image him, that we could image his goodness, his kindness, his love, his grace, his mercy. That if someone said, what's God's love like? It was supposed to be, well, God's love is like Adam's love, and God's grace is like Eve's grace, and God's kindness is like Adam's kindness. And we were supposed to image God on earth. We were to radiate his glory as we abided with him and radiated and reflect his glory and were made in his very image. We were to be expressions, extensions, emanations of his glory. But we chose to go our own way. And in going our own way, we took that glory to serve ourselves. And as Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But our goal in life is that whatever glory there is in living, it's not for us, but it's, it was given to us so that we could worship and praise and express the goodness of God. If there's anything good or right or pure and holy in me, it's an expression of God in me. That life only has meaning in that I exist because God gave me existence, and my existence comes from the fact that he took of himself and created me and gave me volition to live and to breathe and to choose and to have life. And I choose for my life to be expression of his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And everything I do is to express and to radiate the glory of God. And any praise that comes to me, I extend that to the one who made me, who gave me this glory to express. Psalm 115 says it this way, 115.1, Not to us, O Yahweh, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, that the glory of God is embodied in Christ incarnate, Christ in the flesh dwelling amongst us. And Christ, before he went with the, went away to be with the Father, before he went to the cross, said, my heart is for you to share in that glory. And he gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could have the presence and the glory of God within us. So that in John 17, 22, uh, Jesus could say, the glory that you have given me, and Jesus is talking to God or to the Father, says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. The goal of our life is to be expressions, emanations of God's glory. And that's the question I have of you. Are you giving God glory with your life? Do your relationships give God glory? Does your marriage give God glory? When you when I reach an impasse in my marriage, the goal is not for my needs to be met or her needs to be met. The goal is that our marriage would give God glory. Does my parenting give God glory? It's not for them to obey my rules. It's that my parenting would give God glory. My friendships would give God glory. My work would give God glory. My finances would give God glory. That's what life is about. I pray for healing in my life, not so I can be healthy, but so that I can give God glory. I pray for resources and provision so I can give God glory. If we do not live to be expressions of God's glory, 
then we're living for things that rust and corrode and fade away. We become like Herod. Death. Death personified. It's such a powerful image. When he did not give God glory, his body was eaten by worms and he died. We become zombies, living life for terrible purposes. When we don't align ourselves with the glorious purposes of God. Our lives are to be expressions of the glory of God. We were created to reflect and embody and dwell in the presence of God. And when we succeed, all glory is given to God. Everything we do is to be an expression of God's glory. He created us. He formed us. We are expressions of our Creator, and this expression is going to give God glory. Hey, thanks for listening. I appreciate it greatly. I'd love to hear from you. You can text me, 360-818-4513, 360-818-4513. If you'd like to donate, you can go to fairlyspiritual.org. That's fairlyspiritual.org, or you can pick up my book. It makes a great Christmas present, or maybe it doesn't. Either way, I'd love for you to pick it up, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. You can get that at Amazon. Love you guys. Make room for the Lord and give him all the glory. I'll see you next time. Proceeding broadcast was sponsored by Fairly Spiritual. When you write or call this program, be sure to mention you heard it on KCIS.